0: That feeling of trying something new and being in this state of frustration or feeling like you're not making progress. Just keep going at least, at least for a little while and look back on yourself because you have been making progress and other people are probably seeing it more than you do.
1: You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm J.R. Flatter. This is Building a Coaching Culture. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and youngest son, Lucas Flatter. Hello. So you're celebrating something, aren't you? What's going on in your life?
0: Yeah, so um just been uh, working towards my master's in um, business administration and just got the final grades yesterday, so... I let everybody know in the family. It's like every time there's a a little incremental <laughs> like nudge towards the goal, I get excited and so this <laughs> is um leading towards the graduation that's happening this Saturday. So I was just waiting on cool. that last official piece.
1: So you have an MBA. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> MBA, PMP, you're a coach, you're a computer scientist, you're doing it all. Mm. So just to remind everybody who our listeners are, leaders that are competing and winning in the 21st century labor market, not a surprise to anyone or a mystery to anyone about how competitive this labor market is. That culture is so important to that. So one of the themes that I've been seeing is the difficulty people are having at transition stages in their life and how leaders can help with that and how... Coaches might help with that. So I wanted if we could focus on that for this session, mm-hmm. on how building your culture is related to helping people in transitions. And, you know, what is the leadership role? And what is the person's responsibility? What is our responsibility as the leaders in the organization? So that's what's on my mind today. Big topic. So do you want to go into how you
0: know, the coaching relationship might help with getting help to a leader that might be at a transition point like that?
1: Yeah, sure. We could talk about the coaching relationship. We could talk about the leaders and the culture that they develop. And part of what I see changing in the workforce is even things as simple as the orientation conversation, right? For decades, the orientation conversation has been Here's your desk, here's your phone, and here's your laptop and you know good luck. But now the it seems to be changing the labor force is expecting a lot more than that. So part of building a twenty first century culture is having that twenty first century orientation, which is actually helped create by the executive leadership and actually uh, strong participation by executive leadership in that orientation. So if you're in fact building a coaching culture and bringing someone into your organization, I think it would be a very worthwhile thing to talk about where are you in, in your life, like where you are, you're in a period of transformation, you're in a period of transition. So if you were to join my company, I would want to know that, and I would want to know how to help you through that. So I think that's a big part of being a 21st century leader, having a coaching culture, recognizing and doing something with the fact that a lot of people that are coming our way, there's a lot going on in their life. There's value that we could help them with.
0: So. I kind of just talking about like recruitment and, you know, joining new organizations. You think about some companies like Google and Amazon and the huge ones that they might get like so many applicants that by the time somebody's hired, like they know this is the person that's going to fit this role perfectly. And it seems like, you know, if we have a smaller organization, you kind of have to go in with the expectation that you're going to develop people and kind of like mold them into the role instead of, you know, you don't have the luxury of playing the numbers game.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine going through that brutal process of four or five, six interviews. <laughs> but you know, they can do it and good on them for being able to do that. For us, I think it's we're in a much more competitive place. And I think even the bigs, they're very competitive because they're looking for world-class talent. That's a scarce resource, just like we're looking for that world-class talent. So yeah, you're not going to know the person as well as you might in that other scenario you painted. And so certainly you have a greater burden when they do arrive and bringing them into the fold and getting to know them and making sure that they're being taken care of, that you don't just pop them down at a desk and forget about them.
0: And If you're in that coaching relationship, how much are you waiting for the the leader to say, you know, I'm at a life transition, I need to talk about it, and how much of it is you might just be listening
1: and hearing the hints and cues? So in a coaching relationship, the leader is in the driver's seat, as we say all the time, and so as the coach, if I am have decided this is an opportunity to coach and in a coaching culture that would be almost always because when you're coaching you're growing the leader when you're mentoring you're just telling them how you did it and hoping that it works for them but so i've decided it's an opportunity to coach and so i know that the leader that i'm working with is in the driver's seat but i also am an experienced executive and i know if you just joined my team probably there's some turmoil going on in your life and so you you're real happy to get the job and I'm real happy for you to take the job, that doesn't mean there's not a lot going on in your life. That I, as an experienced executive, shouldn't know about and recognize and bring it into the room in our coaching relationship. So when, when we say that the leader's in the driver's seat, that doesn't mean that I can't use my knowledge, skills, abilities, and experiences to facilitate their own self-discovery. And so how would you bring that into the room in a coaching conversation? Yeah. I'm a very explicit coach. And so I would just explicitly say, hey, I know you just joined us and you came from here. Uh, a lot of the people that we work with are retiring out of military services. And So, hey, I know you just retired out of military service and I'm real happy to have you here. But I suspect there's something going on in your life that I, that we could help work through. So I haven't demanded we go in that direction, uh, but I've supposed in my coaching head, my coaching mindset, that there's an opportunity there. And then
0: we're looking at, you know, hiring and that kind of transition. Um, What are other ones that you kind of see like, you know, in in the work environment, whether it's like marriage or death in the family, or what are those kind of moments that, might prompt one of these conversations
1: yeah i know from uh, my own life experiences and you're going through it right now let's just see in the last five years of your life you've gotten an mba gotten married had a child any one of those is a potentially joyful but also stressful time of life in my own life so i joined the marine corps that was one of the times Retired from the Marine Corps another time. As I started this business 20 years ago, and then sat in the CEO chair for 15 years and stepping out of that chair at the same time that ironically, and, and thankfully I had accomplished my life's goals. And so five years ago, was a very traumatic period in my life. And it's about the same time that I started on my coaching journey been coaching all along, but didn't recognize it as coaching or call it coaching. So that was a challenging, challenging time for me. And I think that's part of where I began to recognize I needed a coach. And So it was, had the opportunity to get a couple of different coaches, one of them from Australia, another from Ireland, another one from Texas, but, uh, Venezuelan by birth immigrated to the United States, so I had a very eclectic coaching team that I was able to reach out to. I think it, it might be worthwhile just to talk through that and, you know, how did I recognize, and what were the coaches able to do with me and for me, help me grow into, you know, what I'm doing today. So if you think about being on this 30 year journey that you have these, this laser focus on what you're trying to accomplish. And then suddenly it's there and simultaneously you're stepping out of a job you've been in for 15 years and leadership of a company that you created. It's a very joyful time, but also there's a lot of questions in your mind. Quite literally, I was just asking myself, who am I now? I know I'm still a father and I'm still a leader coach. I'm an educator, but 55 years old, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? (laughs) And just sitting in an office with a computer in front of me, brainstorming, you know, what's next can only get you so far. And so my coaches and in my coaching conversations with them, were able to help me see those blind spots, help me connect dots that I might not otherwise connect. And so now I have a pretty good idea. And that probably went on for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something like overnight, I figured it out. I think, you know, in a coaching relationship, especially one that's relatively short term. So most of the times when we engage in a coaching relationship, we're looking at a 12 week engagement. The most you could hope to do, I think, in that 12 weeks is lay out a blueprint, lay out a plan. Cause you're certainly not going to have this, the answers in 12 weeks. So when we engage in a 12 week coaching relationship, we have a pretty focused structure where we talk like things like, what are your principles? What's important to you? What kind of job do you want to have? What, what kind of work do you want to do? What kind of life do you want to have? Do you want to, a lot of people when they're in these transition phases, they promised somebody for years, when this happens, we're going to slow down. Mm-hmm. So is that one of those times for you? So what's that work-family self-balance? And then where do you see yourself in 30 years, five years, in one year? So we got a pretty practice structure that we use. But even with all of that, it's a blueprint to get to the plan. And that's when you start executing the plan. So for me, from... Stepping out of the CEO chair and really having some clarity on where I was going. It was 18 months. 18 months of hard work.
0: Ironically, it's like when you go through one of those experiences, it's like, you know, you've achieved something. So you're looking back and you're proud and, oh, you know, just kind of relax for a minute. But then there's this void ahead of you. Mm-hmm. So. It's like a moment to celebrate and reflect, but also like, okay, what's next?
1: Yeah, and I think it's a perfect time to get a coach. You know, the more I think about it, the more I think we need to get you in a coaching relationship like soon so you can help walk you through what's, what's next for you. And Lena as well, right? She's graduating from her cybersecurity course and she's in this exactly the same boat. What do I do now?
0: And I guess thinking about coaching as a way to, you know, you're getting self-clarity, you know, you're talking things through with yourself. Like, what did you discover in, in those conversations when you were transitioning?
1: So each session is a life of its own. And so one of our responsibilities as coaches is to address what I'm concerned about today, but also address what I told you I want to accomplish over the long term in the midterm. And so when I first stepped out of the CEO chair, I thought, I'm going to be a philanthropist, I'm going to start a nonprofit organization, continue working with the Chamber of Commerce, which is a nonprofit, and I'm going to serve others in that capacity. And so I probably went down that path for several months. But the whole time I'm saying in the back of my mind, this just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem to be what's going to give me joy. And it's about that time where I first hooked up with my coach from Australia. And the very first conversation with her coaching hat on, she's recognizing the inconsistencies of what I'm saying and what what's bringing a smile to my face. And so certainly a coach can do that. We always talk about in our coaching accreditation programs that we look for the whispers, and that was a whisper. You're saying you want to be a philanthropist, but the only time I see you get excited is when you talk about winning more business. And so do you really want to be a philanthropist? So that's a perfect coaching conversation to show you that inconsistency. And also a good coach will facilitate you to really look at yourself and answer yourself 100% honestly. Because a lot of times we say one thing because we think that's what the world wants to hear. (laughs) And so a coach can really help you through that. So that's kind of the, the short term. But in the long term, another thing that we talk about in our coaching accreditation is coach the person, not the problem. And so, like most people do, I'm presenting the symptoms of my unhappiness to to my coach, and then she's constantly bringing me back to what does that mean to you. So, a perfect coaching question would be, "What is it about being a philanthropist that makes sense for you in the next phase of your life?" I mean, who are you? One of the exercises we go through is that everybody to build their own individual mission statement. So for 30 years, I knew who I was, a father, a Marine, interested in the education of my children, interested in my family, growing as a family. Not that any of those things are lessened, but they're all achieved. So now what? Now who am I? And so that's the kind of questions that a coach can really help you with. Not where are you going to go to work in the morning? They can do that, but why would you want to go to work there? And what about going to work there fulfills your own mission statement. So they help me through all of those things. And a coach can help anyone in those kind of transitions. In the employee
0: employer relationship, in like true coaching, you might nudge them away from your organization, right? Is that a fear or a pitfall or something that you Yeah. Encourage?
1: so you've brought up the classic conversation? between the CFO and the CEO, right? The CFO is interested in money. And so the CFO asks the CEO, what if we educate them and they leave? And the CEO, who's the strategist of the group, says, what if we don't educate them and, we, and they stay? Mm-hmm. So you could apply the same logic to coaching. What if you don't care about their personal and professional achievement and they stay? Yeah, I would think in... Most coaching relationships that I'm in, whether it's at work or, you know, more formal coaching relations outside of our company, transitioning into a new job was almost always part of that conversation. But a good leader, a coaching culture leader would celebrate that. Yeah, you got to replace the person, but when they go out into the world, they're going to tell good stories about you. And that's how your culture gets built. Your culture is the story that people tell about you. The culture is the story the employees tell about you. The culture is the story your employees tell the world about you. And so if you lose someone because you've coached them, personal and professional achievement, you've lost an employee, but you've strengthened your culture. Ironically, the data supports exactly the opposite. We research this kind of thing all the time as social scientists, as scholars of leadership. It's something we're very interested in. And it's counterintuitive. If you educate someone, allow them the opportunity to get an MBA, allow them the opportunity to get a PMP or a cybersecurity certification, they're more likely to stay, even though they're more educated and even though they're more competitive in the marketplace, the fact that you respected them enough to allow them that opportunity will only strengthen their desire to stay and again that strengthens your culture what's the story they're telling their family i can't possibly leave this company they treat me so well what's the story they're telling people who are trying to hire them yeah you're offering me a little bit more money but why would i leave this amazing company
0: you also think about like you know you're more happy but then you're seeing your coworkers and you know they're more happy and you're more likely to have those positive experiences not even talking to your coach or the CEO
1: anymore but like on your team so let's talk about you a little bit what's going on in your mind as you're hanging your MBA on your wall next week i have
0: been thinking a lot about you know what's next and like i said earlier it's kind of a moment to say okay like here's what we've done and here's what we're looking back on, which is something to be proud of. But then it's like, okay, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so I'm kind of working through that right now.
1: Who are you talking to as you're working through all that?
0: So I have been talking with a coach periodically. I met with my mentor from a leadership program that I did a couple of years ago in leadership Fredericksburg. So we had lunch and was just talking to him about, you know, I'm about to finish this. And, you know, you have a similar career. So asking him about his background a little bit and probably do the same with my older brother who's kind of gone through a bunch of the same kind of things as i am gone through. Mm-hmm.
1: So. so what advice would you give to yourself as you go through this transition? If you were coaching you, what would you tell yourself? You
0: know, looking back, sometimes when I thought, oh, like this isn't going in the direction that I want or, you know, not fast enough or this or that. Now looking back, it's, there's some clarity where it's like, okay, I needed time to do this and I was working through this. And so now I have that understanding of, you know, things that I'm looking back on before. So part of, I would say, you know, (laughs) if I was giving advice to myself, keep on having those conversations and be aware of like how you're feeling about certain things, but also don't try to rush into anything or, You know, if you're going to make a big move, just make sure that you've gotten comfortable with it and you're not just doing it to have a snap decision, you know?
1: So as a millennial with a brand new MBA, a young family, and I'm trying to hire you, what's important to you? I mean, just
0: having that importance of family and and flexibility of, you know, do you need to go pick up your kids or go to a sport, you know, event with them or something like that. So I wouldn't personally want to go to any organization or company that kind of puts so much of a burden on the employees that, you know, you have to make those decisions and say like, you know, this to keep my job, I need to have the conversation with my wife about, you know, this is the balance that's going to be going forward. Because if I were to go down that route, it would certainly only be like, because there's more money involved, but then you think about like, okay, what's the, what's the point of that? And what are you going to do with that? And is that worth it? And so I would say for me right now, the time with my family and the comfort of having
1: that flexibility
0: is more important than like, Oh, I want to make twice as much money or something.
1: Yeah. 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 I often wonder as social scientists, we study cost of leaving. We study what would entice someone away from their current job into a new job. And the further we go into the 21st century, the further I think it's exactly what you just described. When I first started this company, we would lose employees for 10% pay raises. A big thing was no longer had to commute. So we were able to entice people because our business was in Fredericksburg which is you know, just outside of DC, and if they didn't have to drive to DC anymore, they would take a pay cut. So if you're talking to another employer or a potential employer, you just said double the money, I, I, I bet you would change jobs for double the money. But what is, what are you and your friends telling each other as far as salary versus your ability to drop Declan off at school? 20%, 30%, 40%? What are we talking? Is it even something we could put a number on?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess they're probably, yeah, it's probably like if I were to throw out something, it'd be like 30% or something, you know? Mm-hmm. But then it's also if we're talking about like, are you going to go get an opportunity that's different and, you know, potentially more responsibility and this and that Mm -hmm. versus if you were in your exact same position because if it's the exact same position you know or at least a similar one then i feel like the barrier to leave the cost of leaving is probably higher just because you know okay what else is in it except for this 20 yeah but i guess yeah that that's intangible of like What would I be doing that might be more satisfying? And I guess that's probably something that a lot of us are thinking. Like, what is the grass greener? Like, could I be working with, you know, more exciting projects or something, you know?
1: So what you've told me in the opposite is what I heard you say in between your sentences. If I have a strong culture, I could save a lot in salary. There's a 30% Delta between This job that you have with a strong culture and another equal job that maybe you don't know what the culture is, or you've heard that's not a good culture, it would cost me 30% more to keep you.
0: Yeah. And I would say, I guess, as long as there's like a baseline of, you know, like standard of living and, you know, depending on inflation and all that, you know, Mm because I wouldn't say that. I don't think anyone you asked would take a pay cut and say like, okay, like, but we're going to have an even better culture because it's hard. Yeah, to, you're right. As long as we reach this baseline, then it's all gravy kind of.
1: So if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of need and the bottom tier is the basics of survival, all of those existential things. So you've got those bases covered in your job. And then, so the next level is where you begin to talk about culture And the relationships between people and feeling wanted and needed and loved, all of that's the middle tiers of Maslow's hierarchy. So would you say that a 21st century culture delivers those fundamentals as this baseline and also you have a high expectation of the middle tiers of Maslow's hierarchy? So... You're saying that you
0: should expect like the bottom being like survival and everything, and then, and then have. Yeah, when I think of a
1: 20th century culture, I think of somebody going to a job because it provided them the money to eat and have a home to live in. And and that's about it. Mm -hmm. 21st century culture, your expectation as a 21st century MBA is, yeah, you're going to give me those basics, but we're also going to regularly talk about and celebrate those middle tiers. I expect a strong relationship. I expect respect. I expect... You know, I was thinking yesterday as I was thinking about this conversation we are going to have, how do you know when you have a strong culture? And one of the ways you know is that you all love each other. I don't know that sounds weird, coming out of a baby boomer's mouth. What would be one of those tests of, do I have a strong culture? If someone in your organization is sick, do you care about that? Or are you angry they can't come to work, right? Mm -hmm. That's a 20th century culture. Oh, nobody's there to build the widgets today. Uh, A 21st century culture would think, yeah, I hope they're going to be okay. And what can I do? That's what I talk about when I talk about those middle tiers of Basil's hierarchy. If I'm the leader of an organization and I die, do the people care? Or like, oh, my God, he's finally gone. That's the difference when I think about a coaching culture and a 21st century culture that will attract a millennial MBA like you and those coming after you. Because the Gen Zs are in the workplace already. They're in college or they're working.
0: Yeah. And I guess part of it also um, is, you know, the type of economy and the, like, you know, we're in government contracting and providing services and technology. And if we were like, you know, we need to develop, you know, 20 widgets per day. and, And then, so I need to work twice as many hours if the other person's not there, but there's more flexibility in technology and things like that because it's more about planning and organization and even if you lose some productivity if you still have you know other things laid out and you have a good implementation you know you know what i'm trying to say like
1: yeah but i think if your culture's strong enough those you know the widgets that guy would have made on the day he's sick his fellow workers gonna pick up the slack he's gonna come in and do his part when he does get well so i think it all makes up for itself even at that kind of widget making economy Mm -hmm. rather than you and I and as support services.
0: It definitely aids like the development of a culture. I think if you don't have so many physical or like concrete limitations around like, yeah, like having that satisfaction of choosing how you do things is part of a good culture, I think.
1: So you think about all the people that were coaching that are transitioning, what would be some advice you would give them? I
0: mean, the number one thing is just, you know, reaching out to other people. I think especially it can even be people that you talk to all the time, but you don't really you haven't really introduced this problem or, you know, this particular perspective to that person. So maybe they have a fresh take on it. So if you have brothers and sisters and your parents and, you know, Mm -hmm. people from work kind of coming to them and saying, you know, have, have you dealt with something similar to this? And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's where I would start at least.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think probably one of the more more important exercises and a coach can help you with this, a coaching leader can help you with this, is what are the actual opportunities available to you? We call it widening the realm of possibilities. Because I think a lot of us get stovepiped in our thinking that okay, I'm transitioning and here's where all my friends went, so this is where I'll go. I I was coaching someone who was retiring from law enforcement background and him and 10,000 of his closest friends retire from that same field every year. So it's a crowded labor market to go do things that law enforcement people do when they retire. That drives down the labor rates. That drives down, I think, joy. You're going to continue doing the same thing you just retired from. So what else might be available to you other than what all of your friends did? So yeah, take some time to explore what are the realms of my possibilities. Have long conversations with your loved ones, like I'm sure you and Lena are going to have about what's best for us.
0: So for example, Lena was talking about some of her family wants to come to the States potentially and so she asked, okay, like, have you been studying English? Some of them are like, no, I, I don't, stu- don't want to learn English. So it's like, <laughs> okay, step one, <laughs> learn English. <laughs> so it's like, sometimes there's things that you can do right now that are going to help your possibilities in the future. And
1: Yeah, that's a great point. That's why when we talk to people in transition, we say, where, where do you want to be in 30 years? And at first that freaks people out. You're 30 years old. You don't even want to think about 60-year-old Lucas. But if you're there, you probably want to have prepared for it. And so no matter what age you are, 30 years from now, you want to be happy. You want to be surrounded by people who love you. You want to have probably some financial success. You want your health. And so, yeah, what, do you, what can you do today to make that happen? It gets more real with the five years. Where do you want to be when you're 35 years old? I asked myself that question when I was 35 and I said, well, I'll be 40 without a PhD or I'll be 40 with a PhD and it makes sense for me. So my five-year plan when I was 35 was go get a PhD, but what does, what do you have to do today and within the next year and within the next five years to be on that path? So I know you and, and our family, we're a really strong family. So I could guess where you want to be in 30 years. And what are you doing to take actions to make that happen today, this year, in the next five years? Because you don't wake up one morning and have an MBA, right? You got to apply to the school. We got to go to the classes, but what did the MBA do for you? I'm sure you asked yourself questions. Lena asked you and Lena asked each other questions. What's next for us? So I suspect it fit into your life plan somehow. I mean, to be
0: completely honest, three years ago, I was I was kind of at the point where I was thinking like, okay, I want to expand those opportunities and the possibilities and, and I'll figure it out. By the time I graduate, I'll figure <laughs> out what I'm going to do with it. And now I'm at, at that point and I'm like, okay. Now it's time to figure out what I'm gonna do with
1: it. <laughs> oh, that's cool.
0: It what you were saying earlier, it kinda reminds me of like financial planning and you know,
1: mm-hmm. or
0: even like, you know, medical treatment. It's like if there's a patient that's bleeding, it's like, okay, stop the bleeding, then do this, then do this. Or if you're trying to save up but you have a bunch of credit card debt, it's like, okay, stop the bleeding, figure out the credit card debt. But when it is like, you know, mid-tier of the needs hierarchy, there's nothing like severely wrong. So you're almost just, you know, like trying to guide yourself towards options that are all positive in a way. So
1: I think that's a challenge. So what would be the opposite of guiding yourself in the right direction?
0: I guess um, the good thing about, you know, or at least just achieving anything is that you had to change or you had to change your habits or, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you grew or developed. So at the very least, I mean, it's not impossible, but at the very least, it's, it's harder to kind of like go back to how you used to act or like what you used to do, you know? So that's like, you've got that forever. I feel like.
1: (laughs) So what is one of your secrets to success? Mr. MBA?
0: I feel like, I I mean, I keep reiterating, but and like, we kind of talked about it previously, you and I, but, like having that, that feeling of, of trying something new and, and like being in the state of frustration or, you know, feeling like you're not making progress, just keep going at least, at least for a little while and look back on yourself because you have been making progress. If you are doing the right things and, you know, dedicating any sort of time and effort to something, you're going to see these things jump out at you, and other people are probably seeing it more than you do. So,
1: yeah, I loved your story you told today about your Spanish fluency and mm-hmm. studying Spanish most of your life, thinking that you're okay at it, and then <laughs> visiting your family in Colombia. They're them telling you how well you were speaking. Yeah, we don't get to see ourselves grow like other people do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's always nice to get that kind of feedback. And the other part of that that came into mind while you were saying that is if you are, in fact, a lifelong learner, you're also a lifelong novice. Mm. And all the frustrations that come along with being a novice at anything, like your guitar playing, right? (laughs) Not advancing as quickly as you'd like, but you're still sticking with it.
0: When you're really like a novice or maybe you're like younger, like, you know, you're just graduating high school or something. It's easier to compare yourself to other people because, you know, everyone's the same age, everyone's doing the same thing. But then when the time horizon gets longer and you see like, okay, like I was the slowest person in cross country, but now I can run a marathon. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. you will get there. Like if you are interested and you keep going.
1: Yeah. It's the, the rule of 72 that we talk about all the time. If you. Divide the growth rate of something into the number 72. It tells you how long it takes to double. And so if you're an okay runner and you get 5% better every year, you divide that into 72, how long is it going to take you to be a really good runner, right? It's so long way of saying continue to invest in yourself in the person you were five years ago. You won't even recognize five years later.
0: So if you were talking to like that Marine transitioning to his first officer role or or something like one of those events, what would you say to that person and how do you think it might change, how to have changed things in the past for you?
1: Yeah, I always hesitate to go back because if one thing changes in your whole life, you're not sitting here today, (laughs) (laughs) right? And so I'm, I'm always very careful to say, gosh, I wish this would have been different, but... You know, now that I'm 60 and have all these scars and, and all these successes, I would probably tell 30-year-old me, you're going to figure it out and it's going to be great. Just keep pushing, keep hammering away. Some of the more surprising things in my life were you go into, an, like you getting your MBA, you go into that school thinking, yeah, I, I probably can survive this, but I'm just going to do okay. And I'm surrounded by people that are more capable and smarter than I am. But then, when you're on this journey and you see the timeline, as you said, the horizon getting stretched a little bit, you see, wow, I am competitive, and I am smart, and I am hardworking. I wish I would have recognized that when I was 20 something. Now, you and I try to teach people that, show people that.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> put that on our, you know, children, grandchildren.
1: Yeah, exactly. Forward. Yeah. There's nothing more satisfying than seeing one of your children or grandchildren do something that you've taught them is the right thing to do. It's like, Oh yeah, they were listening. All right. I'll let you go. Thanks for All being right. here. Thanks so much. Well, that concludes this episode of building a coaching culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, maybe stop and give us a rating or review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.